that we planned a little while ago, um, and we've just called it Pray Like This, from Matthew 6, so turn your Bibles on or uh, open them up. Matthew 6, uh, hands up if you can recite the Lord's Prayer by heart. Yep, so let's do it now. Our Father... Wow. Well done. <laughs> uh, well done, everyone. Uh, I learned that um, actually when I was, a, oh, I don't know, uh, 10 or 11 years old. We didn't, sometimes you had that as a ritual, right? You went to school, you did the Lord's uh, Prayer. You heard in Parliament, you did the Lord's Prayer in public spheres, you did the Lord's Prayer. Probably some of the churches that you went to when you were younger, some of us, they would have done that a lot. Um, and that still happens in a lot of places. Uh, not so much in the public sphere um, nowadays, but... But, um, but that's where some of us learned it. I didn't learn it that way because we didn't do it as we, we abhorred, um, we said we abhorred tradition in our household. We didn't do tradition. Tradition was the enemy. We just followed Jesus and we did our own rituals. <coughs> um, so we didn't do the Lord's Prayer as part of our, uh, but, we, but we, someone had given my mum and dad a record. It was a secular record. Well, sort of. Because we had an old LP player. We had a little 12-square house, and our lounge room was about five by three. And on the end of that, and it was on these rocky floorboards, so if you put the record player on, you had to kind of just, yeah, tiptoe, right? Otherwise, it was going to jump around anyway. And, um, and so we had, you know, Lynn McGee and Don Francisco and all these Christian kind of um, things. But we also, someone had given us Mario Lanza. Who knows Mario Lanza? Yeah, right? Sings Christmas carols or something like that. And on it, he sang the Lord's Prayer. I hadn't heard it. I didn't know it was like a, a thing. He just sat and sang this song. And I remember as an 11-year-old, gingerly standing in one place with this thing on, singing as loudly as I could, trying to match Mario Lanza's vocal <coughs> range. Because when he gets to that, for thine is the kingdom and the power. It really kind of whoa, rises like that. And I was singing away, just waving my arms like I was Mario Lanza. And then my brother started laughing because he'd come into the... So what are you doing? I said, Nothing, shut up. That's my memory of the Lord's Prayer. And then I find out, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, is not even what Jesus said. That got added centuries later. <laughs> it actually ends with, and deliver us from evil. Or deliver us from the evil one. Like, oh, that's the climax of the song. Um, we'll get to that a little later. Uh, not that it's not true, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's biblically true. That all belongs to God. It's just not what Jesus said. Um, it's not in the early manuscripts for the first few uh, centuries. Um, got added later and picked up particularly in the King James Version when it was translated in 1600, in the 1600s. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm glad that heaps of people know the words. I'm just sad that these words have been relegated in many hearts to mean little more than a religious ritual. I'm excited at this time in history, to, in this place, to be looking at this prayer again with God's people to rediscover uh, or even experience for the first time the comprehensive 
real, gutsy, transformative, freeing, amazing power in this prayer. This prayer is Jesus' response to his disciples when they come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. You see that in Luke 11. Jesus has been going off um, again, praying somewhere. One of the disciples comes to him when he finishes there and says, Lord, teach us to pray. What do you think they're asking, teach us to pray? They're not asking about the mechanics of prayer. Lord, teach us how to put our hands, you know, or should we kneel? Or what do we actually call, um, like, how do we name God? And should I say Lord 50 times in the same sentence? Like, we're not, he's, he's not asking, they're not asking, what are the mechanics of prayer? They're watching Jesus and he's amazing. He has this, he has this significant prayer life. He's often praying. And then he says stuff and it's amazing. And he does stuff, and it's amazing and confusing and confronting and powerful and real. And they're like, oh, we watch the relationship you have with your father, Jesus, and we want that. Teach us that. What are you doing when you pray? Because they knew the mechanics, right? They were Jews. They'd been raised with habits of prayer. What if we could speak with Jesus right now and ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus' life is confusing at the moment. We've got this pandemic and these public health orders and this government and these people who don't agree with me and this isolation and loneliness and fear and we don't know what is going to happen next. Have you ever started to pray and just gone, I don't even know how to pray in this situation? How do I pray in this space? If Jesus was here and we asked him for help and he said, I can help. Pray like this. Would we listen? Would I listen? Because we're going to hear his words now as real and as raw as they've ever been. Matthew 6. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. This line has been resounding through my heart and soul these past two weeks. Our Father in heaven. Pray like this, our Father in heaven. Three things here. Firstly, who are we talking to when we pray? Our Father. Our Father. Not just our Creator, not just the one who knows all and does good. Our Father. Listen to what Jesus says about our Father in this chapter alone, verse 4. When we're quietly generous and no one knows or sees, our Father sees. Because he's watching and he rewards us. Verse 6, when we retreat on our own to pray, no one knows but our Father knows because he's watching. He's interested, he's invested, and he rewards us. Verse 7, when we're praying and we ask for stuff, we don't need to babble on and repeat ourselves with many words and different ways of saying it and get the codes right because our Father what already knows what we need. He already knows what we need. Jesus is talking to individuals here about their needs and he's saying our father he already knows you he knows what you need so the level of interest and involvement jesus was sure our father had in the lives of the disciples of you and i verse 18 when you fast quietly seeking god and not the praise of others our father sees and rewards you Verse 26, look at the birds, our Father feeds them. Of course he'll provide for us. We're so valuable to the Father. 
This is Jesus talking. He says this of you and I. Our Father is interested in us in every detail, and we are intensely valuable to him. Verse 30, if God clothes the fields with flowers, he'll certainly clothe you. He cares for you. Jesus says, our Father cares for you. That's who our Father is. Verse 32, again, our Father knows what we need before we even ask. Seek him first. Our Father will give us everything we need, Jesus says. Our Father knows what you need. He cares for you. He's intensely invested into your well-being and um, your life. He already understands what you need and he'll, he'll give it to you. Seek him first. Pray like this, our Father. Our Father. For some of us, we need reminding that the one we pray to is the loving, caring, involved, interested, invested, beautiful parent who we can know at an intimate and deeply personal level of connection and who we can trust with the secrets of our soul. Pray like this, our Father. Not just our Father, pray like this, our Father. This is beautiful. Pray like this, Jesus says, and then he nails me with the first word. Pray like this, our Father. My relationship with God is deeply personal. Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me, the Apostle Paul says, and I echo that in my own life. I, I know Jesus, I know God at a very deeply personal connection. Now, I love that little image in Revelation where it says, the one who's victorious, I'll, I'll give a white stone and on that stone will be a name that only the one who receives it can read. That is, God saying, I know you. And I'm, I know your name and the name that I've given you and the identity that I've given you and the life that I've given you. I know that. And I'm going to, you and I, we're going to share this intimate, personal you know, connection that nobody else can enter into. It's yours. It's you and me, God says. That's true for all of us. But pray like this, our Father. Because in as much as that is my connection with God, it is also yours for your personal intimate space. Because all of God's kids are completely accepted, totally forgiven, outrageously loved by our Father. And it solves that word, our, that solves a lot of angst for me at the outset of pray like this. Because this argument that I'm having, this person I blame, the comparisons I'm making, the people I envy, the ones that I'm afraid of, those I scorn or avoid or dismiss, everyone who is against me or has disappointed me or hurt me or ignored me, all that is churning in my soul and, and it's hard to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this, our, our Father. We're going to get to forgiveness later on in this series. But for now, can we get our heads around Jesus saying, when you pray, we're talking to our Father who loves you just as intensely as he loves your brother and your sister and incidentally, your enemy too. He is our Father. Our Father is the Father of people in different churches, different denominations, different worldviews, different cultures, different races, different creeds, different vaccination statuses. He is our Father. 
There's nothing that can stop God from being our Father. We're all so different from each other. We're so selfish most of the time. There's potential for division everywhere. Um, I don't think I'm prideful or selfish. I just think I'm right. (laughs) And maybe you think, well, I am right. Or maybe you are. But if that stops you praying or if it stops us coming to God and acknowledging up front that he is our Father, then we're going to miss the whole thing. We're going to build higher walls and we're going to stay in our tribe and, and, and say, God is with us. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. In heaven. What does that mean? Like we live on this earth, right? Is our Father on some other planet or on some uh, city in the, in the clouds, like a perfected Asgard or something? Oh, where's heaven? What's heaven? What is that? Where is that? What does it mean that... Why does Jesus say, pray our Father in heaven? And how does this God who sees all and knows all and so interested and involved in, in our lives, how does he live somewhere else? Um, put simply, heaven is uh, that perfect sinless sphere where God's desires of selflessness, truth and creative beauty motivate everyone. Heaven is relational perfection and joy. Heaven is a state of existence that is so far above and beyond our reach or comprehension. Heaven is our destination, and heaven in, in, in places, the kingdom of God, is breaking into this world in fits and bits, and, and more and more, in as much as we trust Jesus and his desires motivate us towards the things that heaven wants for us. Um, so we get little bits of it now in the now, not yet. But heaven is perfection. Heaven is so far beyond our reach or comprehension. In this broken world, we see some, we experience some, but our Father is there in, in fullness. In fact, it comes from Him. It comes from our Father in heaven. Pray like this, Jesus says, to our Father in heaven, far above us, glorious and holy. Our Father is the Creator. We are the created. Have you ever had this thought? I think God might be a bit full of Himself. People have said this to me uh, quite frequently, actually. You go, your God is a narcissist. You know, you must worship me and no one else. I am the only one that you should worship. In fact, no other gods, just me. I am glorious and powerful. Bow before me, praise me, worship me. Um, That's our God. Your God is a narcissist. Your God is full of himself. Um, And to be fair, if God was just like you and I, that would make sense. If my next door neighbor come over and said to me, you have to worship me, I might go, be wise, to go, I will take a rain check on that because you're just like me. But God is not just like me. He's in heaven. This is an objective reality. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Where is he? He's in heaven. What does that mean? He's perfect. It means he's pure. He's holy. He's right. He's good. He's wonderful. He's magnificent. He's powerful beyond imagining. He's knowledgeable beyond even thought. He's beautiful. And he is love. 
And he is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's our Father. And he's for us. He's in heaven. And when we go, oh, there's our Father in heaven, we're not going, we're not just pumping his tires up. We're not just saying, you know, like, He's feeling a bit low, so we've got to make him feel better. It's just noticing an objective reality about who God is. When I see a tree, I think, that's a tree. I acknowledge that objective reality. If I said, the tree is not there, it's an illusion, and rode my bike into that illusion, I would suffer. If I said, the tree might be there, but I don't want trees in my life and in my way, and I've got right of way, I would suffer. It's good for me to see and respect trees as they are. They're trees. Jesus says, our Father is in heaven. When we say, Father, you're in heaven, that's just a statement of reality. Objective reality. Jesus is encouraging us to acknowledge this is the actual alignment of life. We've got a creator. We're created beings. And when we pray, we come to someone and we recognize who they are. Not not the next door neighbor, not someone you bargain with, not someone you say, you can't demand this of me, not someone that we that we say, you can't ask this of me. Because we don't know. Like God's telling us who we are. He made us. He's in heaven. When we get a clearer picture of who God is and we say, you're amazing, God. We're not flattering God or pumping his ego. We're saying something that is, we're seeing and saying something that is objectively true. When we experience God, oh, like despite us, we experience forgiveness and love and life eternal flowing to us. And we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's because that actually happened. Worship doesn't pump God's tires up. It's not like God is sad until we praise Him. Because, as we heard this morning, God is unchanging. He's full. He's complete. He's holy and righteous and He has been forever and will be forever. And nothing we do is going to shift that one way (laughs) or the other. Prayer to our Father in heaven is for us. That we can come to our Father in heaven, that we can be reconnected with our Creator, it is for us. It is God giving Himself to us for us. Worship is lots of things. One of the things that worship is, one of the critical things that worship is, is the alignment of our hearts and our souls to the objective reality of who we are and who God is. We just notice, you know, like, wow. When people learn to worship, it's like, it's like a scientist discovering something they didn't know before was true. Look at that new you know, um, thing of, what, what do you call it? The new species, right? Or whatever. That's amazing. Look at the, this uh, more intricate detail in microscopic land that we didn't know before. Look how far out of space we can go. Wow, wow, wow. It's like that. Worship is like that. I've noticed this. I've noticed this. I've noticed this. That is just objectively true. Um, about God. When we worship, and, and so when we, when we find more truth in our life, it is good for us. It aligns our soul with what actually is happening in the universe 
And, and so we're more productive and we're more satisfied and we're more fulfilled and, and we're, we're happier and more effective in our lives and more transformed and more useful to people around us. So when we worship, you're amazing, God. Heaven literally says, good for you. Because it's good for you. Um, the desires of heaven are good for you. The desire of heaven is good for you. You can unpack that several ways. That is, heaven wants good for you. The desire of heaven is good for you. But also, the desires of heaven are good for you. That is, in as much as we are transformed to want the things that heaven wants, then that's good for us. When we worship, it aligns our heart and our soul. Our Father in heaven. So, four words and Jesus has already directed our hearts in alignment with where we need to be. In fact, if we miss these four words, we're going to miss the whole essence of this prayer. It's our Father in heaven. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Or hallowed be your name. Or Murray Alanza style, hallowed be thy name. So many interpretations of this word and this verse, and you might know some of them. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? May your name be kept holy. May your name be set apart as sacred. May your name be revered. May your name be celebrated and savored and held in the highest regard and treasured. May your name be kept holy. The name here um, refers to the essence of God himself. It's not like he's God and here's his name, and we're lifting his name up. Um, as opposed to God. When we lift up the name of God, we're lifting up God. It's like the love of God. It's not separate to God. It's just a way to describe God because he's love. Um, or, or the peace of God or the mercy of God or the glory of God. These things that we use, they're not different than God. They're just, they're just aspects or ways to describe. The name of God just points to God. It encompasses all that God is and says, wow, when we lift the name, we're saying, wow, God. It's like when I say, you know, I hope it's not like this. But, you know, names, names just, you know, capture for us the whole being of that thing. So I'm not going to use that example because you get what I mean. <laughs> um, now, so what does it mean then? May your name be kept holy. Um, or your name is holy. Uh, the essence of the um, translation is a little difficult. I'm pretty confident that you're living... Um, translation gets it best. May your name be kept holy. It's a, it's a statement of intent. I want your name to be holy. I want your name to always be revered, to be revered now and to go on being revered. Um, I want your uh, name to be prominent and celebrated. What does that mean? Can God's name ever be less than holy? Do we in our prayers have to keep it there? Like, whoa, God's holiness is slipping. Quick, more people pray. May your name be kept holy to keep God no, this is about us again, isn't it? May your name be kept holy. May my heart always revere your name. In my life, Father, may I always acknowledge the reality of who you are and who I am. May I see you clearer and live in alignment with the reality of who you are to me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, when I found out that for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, 
wasn't what Jesus said in this. I was a bit like, oh, where's the worship? You know, where's the, where's the, uh, you know, telling God how good he is and, and amazing and, and, you know, because that's important in prayer, is it not? Just to go, God, you are who you are and I am who I am and you're awesome and, um, and I love you so much and thanks for everything you've done for us and all that. But Jesus does it in the opening lines, does he not? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. In my life, may your name be kept holy. May I always acknowledge you, who you are and who I am. In my 24-7 life, may your name be kept holy. When I'm with my kids, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Holy. When I'm at work, our Father, in heaven, may your name be kept holy. In my life, may I revere you. Like uh, Peter says when he writes, don't fear what they fear and don't be frightened. Instead, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Um, then you'll always uh, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Same principle. That is, in my life, in my heart now, I want God's name to be holy to me to be sacred, to be treasured, to be the thing that I'm after and chasing, <coughs> to, to fuel my desire in all that I do and say, um, even when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Um, it was Pete Smith that gave me that acronym. It's awesome. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt. <laughs> It's a good acronym. But even when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's such great help from Jesus. Pray like this. Can we pray this again and again and again this week? It will shift us towards wanting what God wants for us and wanting what God wants, wanting us to want what God wants for our brothers and sisters. We're going to finish by just reading this, praying this out loud together. Um, the first time I do it, you'll be like, oh, and then I'll say, let's do it again, and then you'll be a bit loud. And the third time, we're going to actually kind of pray. You could surprise me by being loud up front. All right, you ready? Let's pray this together as the team comes back up. Um, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, think about all that we've said this morning. Who is he? Is our father. Whose father? Our father. Where is he? In heaven. What does he want us, what's Jesus exhorting us to do? To revere the name of our father in our lives all through this week. So let's say this again loudly, but as a prayer of our own hearts. Ready? Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And one more. This time let's mean it, all of us. And even at home, say this out loud, even if it... Um, it puzzles the people in the next room. doesn't matter. Let's just, let's just do this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?